Hey everybody, before we get into the show, I wanted to let you know we've got another live show coming up. We will be back at Maya Cinemas on Thursday, May 23rd for Furiosa, the latest in the Mad Max series. We are so excited for this one. Joining me to talk about it, we've got Sam Novak, Shahab Zargari, and Tony Gonzalez. A great lineup. It's going to be an awesome movie. We are so excited to talk about it. So make sure to check the show notes. There are opportunities to win tickets. You could also buy tickets. And we hope to see you there Thursday, May 23rd, 6 p.m. at Maya Cinemas for Furiosa. Alright, welcome to another episode of Piecing It Together, the podcast where we take a look at a new movie and try to figure out what movies inspired it. And today on the show, it is the beginning of year three of Piecing It Together. You heard the new theme right there. There's new artwork. There's all kinds of new stuff coming your way. Uh, Those are the first two big changes. Uh, But today we're going to be talking about The Invisible Man with a new guest co-host, Robert Yanis Jr. from the Crooked Table podcast. We have a great conversation coming up for you guys. Uh, The Invisible Man kind of, I wouldn't say it came out of nowhere because I think a lot of people were really excited about it. And of course, there's a, a huge tradition with these Universal Monster movie characters, but not so successful recently, but this one is really blowing up at the box office, critics, everything. People are just really loving it, and so it's it's great to see them uh, doing it right this time out. Not that The Mummy was really all that bad, but, you know, that's another conversation for another time. Today, the conversation is about The Invisible Man and Year 3 of piecing it together. So, uh, like I said, we got a lot of new things in store for you guys with this new year of the show. We're planning all kinds of special episodes and special new features and all kinds of cool stuff. But you should be subscribed to the show if you want to make sure you're always catching all that new stuff. So subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. We're, of course, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, all those apps. Pocket Cast, where I listen to podcasts, and of course, follow us on social media at Piecing Pod, and join our Facebook group, Popcorn and Puzzle Pieces, where we talk about all these movies and continue the conversation from here on the episode. So, uh, I think it's time to kick off this episode. So, let's get into The Invisible Man. All right, so today on the show, we've got a new co-host with us. We've got Robert Yanis Jr. Robert, how's it going, man? Good, David. Thanks for having me on the show. Yeah, I've been looking forward to having you on ever since I was uh, on your show a while back, Um, but I'm glad to have you. Why don't you tell people, since it's your first time, uh, a little bit about you and your podcast? Okay, so um, I'm a freelance writer, film critic, and I have the Crooked Table podcast, where every week we look at the world of film from a fresh angle. So that means it's always me and a different co-host. So, for example, David was on an episode talking about Wet Hot American Summer, uh, which people should definitely check out. Really fun movie that I actually hadn't seen before. And that's one of the best things for me about having a show where it's a revolving co-host and, you know, not really a set, like, uh, limitation on the kinds of films that we get to talk about is that Mm. one week we're talking about Parasite and the next week we're talking about 
you know, La La Land. The next week I've done episodes on like Christmas in Connecticut and Psycho and like all <laughs> kinds of like random, all different genres, all different, you know, because the people that come on the show usually, as was the case with David, um, get it. They, they pick those the movies that we talk about. So it's something yeah. that's usually connects to them personally. And I feel like, you know, I have the, I have a theory that it's you really get to know somebody by knowing the kind of art that they're into, the kind of music they listen to, the kind of films that they connect with, because there's something fundamental about that uh, that work of art, and in this case, cinema, that I think speaks to someone on a on a very personal level. Whether it's a Marvel movie or whatever, like there's something, you know, there's there's a connective tissue there that I think people uh, people either click with or they don't. Totally, yeah, and I I totally agree. I mean, that's one of the things I love about doing this show is you know just having different people on all the time. You know, it brings uh, different you know fresh uh, perspectives and uh, you know just uh, something that wouldn't be if it was just me and the same co-host every week. Exactly, yeah, and I mean, I think you sacrifice a little bit of uh, predictability with that because obviously sure. different co-hosts. So sometimes the tones of the episodes are a little different just based on the energy with yep. uh between you and the co-host but I, I you know i think that's in a way what makes it fun as a host and hopefully as a listener to to uh never know exactly what you're going to get or the kind of person you're going to hear from exactly so uh today we're talking about the invisible man uh which is of course the you know probably thousandth time this story has been told uh over the history of cinema since the the old classic uh universal monster movie days uh to all kinds of remakes and reimaginings and to this weekend's this just came out uh and it's it's getting great reviews it's doing well with audiences and uh i was i was pretty excited for it um when i put out a call for uh for co-hosts for upcoming episodes you jumped on this one uh, are you a fan of of the the kind of history of this character i'm a, i'm a casual fan of the the invisible man i saw um well the last i don't know well we might we might talk about it later so i won't mention the last like big modernization of the invisible man story uh-huh. uh but I was most curious because of the filmmaker involved, mm-hmm. Lee Wanell, who created, who's the writer of like the first three Saws and like the creator of the Insidious franchise. And his, you know, his last movie Upgrade before this was really was a really fun sort of like '80s style sci-fi horror. Um, kind of in a way, he's described as kind of his Frankenstein, actually. Sure. So I was curious to see what they were going to do with this property, especially after the struggle that that Universal has had trying to get these, uh, you know, these characters off the ground once again. Oh, yeah. The the dark universe, I'm sure, yes. will bring bring it up a couple <laughs> times yep. throughout oh, yeah. this conversation. Uh, yeah, no, I, and I agree that that's part of what really piqued my interest as well is to see, God, after after crashing and burning, how are they, you know, how are they going to move forward with trying to get back into the business of monster movies? And, you know, uh, Lee Wanell is an interesting filmmaker and definitely took a very unique and uh, different and very uh, current you know, direction for, uh, for, for taking on this character. And it's, uh, it, I think it really paid off, but we'll get into a lot of that as we're going through this conversation. <laughs> Why don't we jump into your first puzzle piece? Well, we kind of, this is actually the perfect segue because we kind of alluded to it already. I actually, for my first puzzle piece, I had the mummy from 2017. Nice. And I know a lot of times, you know, we're supposed to come up with puzzle pieces that inspired the movie. And a lot of times that's films that have similar themes, but this is, I think is a more, practical <laughs> the way that they inspired this because 
the mummy cost what 150 million or something crazy like that one of the biggest stars in the world everybody hated it like the dark universe after that one promo photo crumbled it's like a <laughs> meme now on film twitter yeah. we're like hey dark universe coming soon <laughs> question mark um so the fact that they went completely in the other direction and they got um uh you know they got lee winnell to make this movie for seven million dollars like super bare bones to the to the point that it's quadrupled its budget already just in the u.s in its first weekend is insane to me and i think it's very I think it's a testament to, and this is not new information, but to the fact that horror really isn't contingent on a giant budget. And I think sure. the fact that this movie also used closer to the horror roots of these characters, as opposed to trying to make it a Marvel-style action-adventure with like a gray, like a, um, there was even an organization, which I can't remember the name of, in The Mummy that was like The Shield that was led by Dr. Jekyll. And I was, it was such a, like, ham-fisted approach to you're gonna watch this and you're gonna like it um with that property <laughs> and to see them completely flipping on on its head here i think was really satisfying and legitimately terrifying as i'm sure we'll, we'll talk about oh totally yeah and yeah you're so right i mean i and it was gonna be on my list as well the, the this uh, mummy reboot you know launching of the dark universe it, it it's definitely an attempt to course correct and It'll be interesting to see with the success of this if, you know, sometimes Hollywood doesn't learn the right lessons from successes. Right. And it'll be interesting if they say, oh, okay, well, we got it now. Let's start that whole thing back up. Or if they maybe just green light a string of interesting but doesn't have to be connected uh, takes on some of these characters, which is, you know, pretty clearly the direction that they should be taking with all of this. Yeah, and if they keep it with Blumhouse, I think their most expensive movie was Glass, which was like twenty million. So mm -hmm. they'll, you know, they can keep that reined in a little bit and worry about connecting it all later if they decide to do that down the line. Absolutely, I I think you know before jumping in my my first piece, uh, we should mention that you know the Blumhouse connection. I mean, they really are. Uh, I mean, it's crazy. Their track record, they're all over the place, really. I mean, some of their things just, you know, kind of don't do anything, but then some of them just make a shitload of money off of yeah. very, very little. And it, it's, it's an interesting approach. It's a kind of just try everything as long as the budgets don't go too big. Um, and I mean, so far they're really making a name for themselves when it comes to these kinds of movies. And, I'm I'm curious to see where it continues. I'm, you know, I, I joke around that I I always say I'm not the biggest horror fan in the world, but it's like I, I, I definitely appreciate the approach that they're taking when it comes to these things, not going and blowing things out of proportion, not trying to uh not not trying to make these big giant epic versions of horror movies. They're they're just really making uh, stories that, you know, at least on paper, you know, time after time are going to be uh, interesting stories. And then, you know, whether or not they they succeed, that's, you know, always up to the opening weekend and seeing what actually happens. But but they are a very interesting studio. Yeah, for sure. So what about you? What's your first piece? So I will go with uh, the first thing that I thought of, which was uh, Terminator, Terminator 2, just the Terminator series in general. Uh, you know, Linda Hamilton's uh, Sarah Connor is so sure of of what she has seen, this thing that everybody thinks she's so crazy. And, 
you know, it's really a, you know, we never really thought of it. I don't think, at least I didn't, as a, a gaslighting kind of story. But, right, I mean, yeah. basically, everybody is is con- convinced and trying to make sure she thinks that she's crazy as well. Uh, we also, of course, in Terminator 2, get the whole, uh, you know, mental institution escape scene, which is, you know, huge and action-packed and violent, which that's where we get our biggest action sequence in this movie. Uh, but um, Elizabeth Moss uh, does a great job of kicking some ass and and you know continuing that that uh, you know that that tradition of of the badass chick who she knows she's not crazy and she's gonna do whatever the hell it is that she has to do to to prove it and she uh, she's you know she's awesome as she always is in this but uh, it's it's definitely a, a a theme that I think is explored in both of these series. Yeah, and I think, too, if you look at the first two Terminators along with this movie and another one of my puzzle pieces that I'll mention in a little bit, I think you do see a sort of evolution of that character into being very submissive, very kind of meek, and then sort of an empowerment over the course of the story where they they really uh, kind of take over take over the narrative in a, in a powerful way, which you wouldn't expect automatically from the way that the stories start, I guess. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. It's... Uh... I, I'm really glad that he took this direction, you know, of of telling the story from, you know, from the the uh, the survivor's point of view um, and and not it being just all about the monster the whole time. Mm. It definitely opens it up to a much more interesting story uh, than just being about the monster the whole time. Right. And the way that the movie opens up too, with that situation where she's running away and you don't know exactly the details of it, but you're just mm. kind of in it from the very beginning. I think that's uh, a testament to the strength of the performances and the filmmaking. And that also leads directly into my second piece, actually. Beautiful. Let's go so, for it. So uh, the beginning of this movie, she's in a abusive relationship. She's looking for a way out. She's trying to escape. And in, the first thing that I that popped into my head, and this is, I guess, because my mom actually really liked this movie when I was a kid, so it was on a lot, is 1991's Sleeping with the Enemy, hmm. uh, which was uh, starred Julia Roberts and... She's basically is a young woman trapped in a uh, an abusive like controlling relationship, a marriage actually, and she fakes her own death and moves to another town to try and start a new life. And spoilers, her, her <laughs> husband her husband reappears, and it's, it leads to a big showdown. And it this it's sleeping with the enemy felt very similar to the Invisible Man, minus all the invisibility stuff. So obviously, sure, uh, this, they diverge a lot, but the general premise of that kind of dynamic that kind of relationship i mean now the invisible man has the benefit if you can call it that an air quotes benefit of uh being super timely to the the me too movement and everything going on and sure and gaslighting and everything that's been in the news so much the last few years but sleeping with the enemy i feel like tapped into sort of like what you were saying that victim's perspective of trying to get away from this uh this controlling significant other uh who in that case happened to be married but that that's what really yeah from the very first sequence where she's running out of the house and, uh, and you know, trying to get a, get a ride and get out of there. And in The Invisible Man, it's flipped that he fakes his death. But again, it's very similar elements, just kind of remixed with a, a sci-fi horror sheen on top. I like that. Yeah, I hadn't thought of that movie in forever, but, but that is It was a very one of those, like, TBS, one. TNT movies back in the 90s that I feel like it was constantly on television. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's just one of those movies that you just, you know, you could kind of picture the uh, the artwork, you know, and it's uh-huh. like it's just it's just something that you've seen a million times over the years, but maybe you haven't actually like thought about it or watched it. In right. Forever. Exactly. <laughs> well, uh, I'm going to go for my next piece with uh, kind of a, another angle that I looked like also at the opening uh, with and uh, that is actually Ex Machina. Um, the Alex okay. Garland film, which I kind of looked at that whole opening as like this this crazy tech, you know, genius billionaire house, you know, and just filled with like so much technology and the person who lives there is just, you know, there's just, you know, not something right with them. Uh, you don't know quite what exactly and his control over any and any, you know, anything, anyone who's in that house is, you know, not healthy. Let's put it that way. Right. <laughs> and, uh, and so, yeah, I just thought of Ex Machina and the, uh, the Oscar Isaac character as, you know, being a little bit of a parallel to, uh, to what's going on there. And we don't really di- dive too deep into the, uh, the tech elements, you know, just, you know, we get some glimpses of, you know, how the suit is made and stuff like that. But uh, it's all there though. You, you, you can tell that the house is just so, um, you know, so souped up high tech, you know, crazy futuristic. And it's also very secluded and away from, you know, the rest of the world by very much by design, not just, rich guy house but also right you know because he's a sick fuck so <laughs> yeah yeah i kept yeah. i i caught on with a little of that like when i was watching it actually i think ex machina even entered my mind a couple times because it's so centered on this yeah on this house that's like very uh a lot of lots of natural light all the glass and yep, um yeah uh, the secretive project kind of happening in like a back room sort of deal yeah it was a lot of, of that kind of uh that kind of vibe for sure good, absolutely good call. So uh, what do you got for your next piece? All right. So actually, no, don't know how this happened. I have another 1991 thriller, um, nice. The Silence of the Lambs. I okay. noticed in this movie particularly, uh, you know, she's very dominated by a man, even when she moves in uh, with her sister's friend, Aldous Hodge, uh, Hodges, I think this gentleman's last name, the one from, uh, what is it, Straight Outta Compton. Yeah. Uh, you know, this constant male presence and she doesn't really get full power until the end. And I found a lot of thematic similarities between that story and that of Clarice Starling in that in that film, clearly being kind of a woman in a man's world. That was the whole idea there. There's even the sequence towards the end of Science of the Land where uh, Buffalo Bill has the night vision goggles on and is sort mm-hmm. of sneaking up on her invisible man style. She can't see anything around her. So there was a lot of, uh, I think, I don't. I wouldn't say that the movie next necessarily homages it, but I definitely think you can see the inspiration of uh, of that movie in Lee Winnell's work here a little bit. Yeah, and I mean, I could totally picture that uh, just on a uh, you know just literal sense of an inspiration. I'm sure Lee Winnell right. is just so inspired by Silence of the Lambs, and you know that. I mean, that kind of and you know even to you know I know that. It's it's his film, but just Blumhouse in general, just the idea of horror films as something that can uh, transcend, you know, and become something that's so culturally important. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, so I will go with another piece. So this one, I could have just... Um, uh, tied to that last piece, the Ex Machina piece, uh, but I figured I'd just bring it up separately. And this one is really just something about the score you know i'm a musician and so i love you know music and films and sure a, a lot of the music is uh you know just straight up you know orchestral just beautiful stuff but then when when shit gets you know 
gets weird and dark. It gets really strange sound designy, and it reminded me a little bit of the score from Alex Garland's Annihilation, uh, from the the whole last thirty minutes of that, where the score just goes bonkers. And uh, <laughs> yeah, and I, I I loved a lot of what they were doing with that. I I, I love especially the juxtaposition between that beautiful, uh, more traditional score versus that kind of stuff that just really throws you on edge. And uh, it, it's it's again more so just the score, not so much anything with the film. Although you know, there's definitely a a feminist angle to Annihilation, so you can yeah, probably sure. draw some kind of comparison there. But uh, but yeah, so Annihilation, my next piece. Yeah, I need to go back and listen to the Annihilation score because I do remember seeing that film and enjoying it quite a bit. Mm. But I, I yeah, I haven't really gotten a chance to go back and listen to that. I well, I, I do want to point out that the score from Visible Man was outstanding. Like I've been listening to it the last couple of days on Spotify while I'm writing articles and things like that. And nice. It's uh, Benjamin Walfisk who did the scores for It, and it chapter two blade runner 2049 like he's been killing it the last few years so definitely people that are into film scores uh should go and check that one out because it's it's really intense the denouement track in particular which i noticed during the movie like as the well as the denouement is happening and kind of leading (laughs) into the credits and you know we're not going to get into the ending per se right now but just really powerful uh combination of visuals and uh and music most beautifully done totally so what do you got next? All right. So the it, this didn't really pop into my head until late in the movie. I, you know, she has uh, been framed for for all these crimes. She's locked up. She's given a sort of last ditch ditch effort to free herself and to get her life back. And then she's momentarily trapped in this toxic relationship. And I've read interviews with Lee Winnell that he even thought of this film and kind of was inspired by it. So I'm talking mm. about 2014's Gone Girl. Big, okay. big in this movie. Big, toxic, you know. And I think that's what's still interesting about this film is that as opposed to Gone Girl, it's kind of like the gender roles are, are flipped. Like in that sure. film, Amy is the one holding all the power and Nick is just kind of stuck with limited options. Uh, although I think the, the difference there being in Gone Girl you're not like Nick's kind of a kind of a dick also. So you're not really on his side as much. Sure. You know what I mean? Yeah, like you're yeah. more than Amy. But in this movie, this whole point is the, to put you 100% in the shoes of Cecilia. And I think uh, I think that's where they diverge. But there's a, definitely a lot of thematic similarities as opposed as uh, compared to that Fincher film. Yeah, absolutely. That that's a great one. I hadn't thought of that, and that's interesting that uh, that Lee Winnell had specifically cited that as well, because that that definitely makes sense now that I you know hear it out loud and think of it. That right, totally yeah, makes I sense. See. Yeah, I love it. Uh, so I'm gonna go with another one that kind of ties back to the score a little bit, uh, and it's 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 really it's the lack of score. It's the the really quiet parts of the film. And I thought of as a combination of both a quiet place, which we got the sequel coming out in a couple of weeks here and mm-hmm. uh, don't breathe uh, both movies that really uh, are very, very deliberate in their use of, of, keeping things quiet to where you could just hear the pin drop and to where it really amps up the tension of like, you know, you know that something bad is either going to happen or is already happening and you just maybe don't even notice it yet. And, uh, and it's got you just kind of, it, it really puts your, your senses kind of on alert as you're watching the film and lots of, uh, lots of shots of just this, 
the room and you don't even know like, oh, is something happening in this room right now? Why am I watching this so yeah. intently? You I know? noticed that too in the cinematography in, in The Invisible Man. Like you're a lot of times down a hallway kind of creepy. Like, so it feels it's very voyeuristic in the way that the movie is yeah. presented too, which I thought was, was great. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and so it like, it really just helps to put you on edge the whole time. And I think that's one of the things that makes the movie, uh, you know, work so well is just that, that it's that combination of cinematography. Uh, There's probably some like invisible production design in there that you just not even really realizing it, but it's just the room is probably laid out in such a way that like, it's just your eyes don't know where to go exactly. And then since the sound isn't giving you any clues, the music isn't giving you any clues. It really just helps helps or like lose you in there you know yeah for sure for sure yeah. i i did yeah i did take notice of that for a lot yeah and i do like i do love don't breathe by the way for people who haven't seen that movie which i i mean it was a decent sized hit and we've heard rumors of a sequel or supposed to move forward mm-hmm. but uh definitely i feel like it was very vastly underrated when that came out because it also has very meticulous as you were kind of alluding sound design and uh, a great performance by jane levy so and a uh, great dog yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> just like zeus in this one no um, funny thing i was leaving the house the other night to go see the invisible man and my daughter's like Are you gonna see a movie i'm like yeah not for you she's like is there a dog in it i'm like i will let you know i mean and then opening scene zeus showed up i was like she was right there's a dog in it he's yeah. a genius it's a good dog <laughs> <laughs> all right what do you got for your next piece well, throughout the movie, you know, we're really kind of wondering, is Cecilia, I mean, you know, it's called the Invisible Man, and we're assuming that there's going to be an Invisible Man at some point, but for the first half, mm-hmm. it's very much like, is she going crazy? Is she imagining things? It's kind of that unreliable narrator vibe, sure. and I was getting big Black Swan vibes, uh, mm-hmm. just with the level of performance, with sort of the people around you, you're not, not sure what to believe, and then you kind of find yourself uh put in these put in i think it really clicked for me when uh spoilers obviously the uh the the scene in the restaurant with her sister yeah when the you know the knife just comes across and it's back in her hand and obviously we saw it float but she doesn't so it's sort of like that doubting your own sanity like is is adrian dead is he the monster am i that like that whole sort of uh psychological breakdown that you witness in uh in Black Swan, I think really came through here. Plus in that movie, it's heavily implied that she's in an abusive relationship with her mother. So, and I think there's another angle in which these two movies have that, uh, you know, that kind of common ground. Yeah, I I think that that's a great uh, connection there. And, you know, just to the point, um, I I love, I saw Lee Winnell said something about, you know, how it was important not to to show you, you know, exactly what happened so that you just kind of have to believe her, you right. know? And I, I think that's such a, a smart uh, way to approach it, especially, you know, to tie into the whole timely Me Too and everything like that. And, you know, just, you know, you, you got you to gotta believe her that, that this shit is happening. And then, you know, sure enough, it is. I mean, <laughs> there right. is an invisible man in the movie, but, uh, and he is insane. But, yeah, I, I love that scene, though. That scene in the uh, restaurant with the sister, I mean, that was just fantastic. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I want to also, real fast, before we get to your next piece, mm-hmm. I want to circle back around to what we were saying about believing Cecilia, that in the end of the movie, I feel like the, the film does try and kind of bring that back around where when she when she uh kills adrian yeah that you don't like and i, I really respect lee Wenell for doing this i think that 100 percent we're supposed to believe that 
you know, that Adrian was behind this, that it was all gaslighting and it's all a big ruse that he put together from the beginning. But the movie never confirms it for you. And I, right. and I love that about it. Like, there's, oh, there's always that little tiny, like, 5% seed of doubt. But did he? Like, what's happening? Like, I don't think, I think it's, the movie is on Cecilia's side, but the fact that it doesn't clarify it there and doesn't have him say, you know, say something menacing right before, as he's, like, gurgling <laughs> in his last <Yeah>. breaths. Um, <laughs> I, I really love that about it. And, it. and I feel like if they do make a sequel to this, I feel like that is a thread that they can pick up on that mm -hmm. Cecilia can, that can kind of be haunting her, that she never 100% got that closure if they wanted to go that route. Uh, I don't know if that would if at all tarnish the impact of this ending or, or if it would just be an extension of it, but that's just something I wanted to make sure I mentioned because I, I really thought that was a, a lovely touch. Absolutely. I completely agree with that. Um, so I will go with my next piece, and I've only got two more at this point, but uh, cool. my next one, though... So this, first of all, speak of that ending, uh, you get that, that close-in shot on, on Cecilia staring out at the camera. <laughs> I immediately <laughs> was like, oh my God, they're ending it exactly like every episode of The Handmaid's Tale. Um, <laughs> which, of course, has Elizabeth Moss uh, right. st stuck in this, this awful society where, where she's getting you know treated just as absolutely horribly as could possibly be and then at the end of every episode she is possibly getting out of the situation and staring at the camera intently just really intense and uh and and that's every episode and so i i just totally thought that like oh wow they're gonna end it just like that so that, that's well they got uh, elizabeth moss right there she's an expert at that at this point so yeah might as well that, that, that's her thing i I, yeah. I feel like i feel like we need we need to end every elizabeth moss movie that way there um, you go yeah it's it's just it's we have spoken thing. <laughs> so uh what do you got next so i think just in the way they approach this character the way they the the film is technically a remake reboot whatever you want to call it of the 1933 movie but it's also kind of not at all i really thought of and this is a, a super recent film but i really thought of joker and the fact that joker is a movie about the joker but if you change a few details it's not really about the joker at all and I feel like this is another example of a film that's lower budgeted, that's more character focused, that, you know, is, is trying to say something about society, about relationships, mm -hmm. about whatever, you know, mental health in, in both films, actually, and stuff. Um, and sort of borrows a, an established IP in order to get people to <laughs> go to the theater to get that message sure. out there. And I think it's all, you know, touching back to what I said before about the, the way that this movie ends, it is sort of open to interpretation. Like, you know, where, is, where does she go from here? Where does Arthur go at the end of Joker? Are, both of those are probably going to get sequels, but we have no idea what they're going to look like. Sure. Uh, so I think just the way that they, they take this, this uh, you know, ongoing property and uh, reinvent it, recontextualize it, and... Uh, repackage it in a, such a completely different way it just felt to me like we're i mean and obviously that the invisible man was in uh production before joker but like i wonder how many more now with these two movies how many more projects we're gonna see like that where it's you know it's a character or a brand that we know but not really recognizable in sure. almost any way shape or form I love that. That's a really great piece. I, I think that's a great, great comparison. And uh, I, I also think uh, if they were ever going to try to make a female Joker, 
movie, uh, Elizabeth Moss would be a great candidate for that. She would, actually. <laughs> Isn't it in some <laughs> those of the, eyebrows? Those, uh, Flashpoint, I think, in the comics, I think that uh, Martha Wayne becomes the Joker. And, oh, I uh, don't know Thomas Wayne, yeah. Yeah, I've, I've seen the animated film, and I think I went back and read it eventually. But, yeah, so in that, Thomas Wayne is the Batman, because Bruce gets killed. And then Martha Wayne becomes the Joker. So Ooh. there you go. WB, if you decide to do that, you know who to call Elizabeth Moss. Yeah. Just, that just would, make sure uh, she looks out at the camera at the end, and we're good. That, that's exactly how it has to end every <laughs> single time. And then we, we don't know if she's crazy or not. Right. Um, <laughs> so uh, for my last piece, um, I am going to go with... Now, this is a little bit silly, but you know we, we've talked about how there's the, the original, original Invisible Man and then the, so many things that have come since it that yeah. are, that are you know, just inspired by it or remakes of it or loose remakes of it. And I just wanted to mention Hollow Man because I... I was hoping somebody would. It was going to yeah. be you or me. <laughs> I, I mean, I... Okay, I understand this movie gets a really bad rep. But um, I was, I don't know, I want to say 15 when it came out, maybe. And I thought it freaking ruled at the time. <laughs> yeah. I don't, I don't know. I haven't seen it since uh, I was a teenager. But I, I have very fond memories of that movie. And I think, you know, even though this, this movie definitely wasn't going all in on the action there's some there's some you know action sequences and whatnot that are done really well i mean leo l especially upgrade i loved upgrade yeah and i did too yeah he, he he really can stage some really cool action sequences and he does them here too but uh you know hollow man really took that concept of this invisible man and just really made a really fun action film out of it and so i i definitely think that there is a you know a little bit of a nod to that as well yeah, absolutely. I mean, and that was also a kind of blatant example of how can we do the Invisible Man? And, you know, well, that was 2000, but like in, in a modern context, not a period piece or anything. Uh-huh. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, let's 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 do it and and update it and, you know, see how it would work now. Right. So. All right. Well, you got any other uh, pieces? Um, I did think of briefly, I did think of Evil Dead 2, just because those scenes when she's by herself and she thinks she might be hallucinating or any or things like that. Uh, I noticed that in Evil Dead 2, that's kind of a running thing for, throughout the Evil Dead trilogy that Ash, like the crazy stuff tends to happen when no one's around. And obviously in this uh -huh. movie, it's by design. Just that kind of uh, stylistic choice uh, made me think of Evil Dead. And then also we have a sort of a tech billionaire or a millionaire whatever he is in a really cool house like on a hill with lots of glass near like i think it's even near water in this movie who's building these suits so i thought of iron man 3 just because sure. he's got these state-of-the-art suits and uh and all of that and uh, yeah and his kind of need for it to uh to survive i guess in, in both cases as well I just have to thank you for being the one to bring up Evil Dead because everybody yells at me <laughs> when I bring up Evil Dead way too much on this show. Um, but but I actually had thought of that in the theater and forgot to right. write it down because especially when she's breaking the uh, the pots on him and yes. and it's you know it's oh, like yeah. Ash breaking all the glasses on himself during the uh, the scene with the hand. Love it. That's yeah, and it's not so and obviously here. It's not for comedic effect, but it's sure. still there's still you know very similar. Uh, similar style and i think it plays into the whole unreliable narrator part of this is like well we only see what she thinks is happening possibly and exactly. i think yeah and yeah yeah good call i'm glad we were on the same page with that <laughs> 
<laughs> I love it. Uh, all right, cool. Well, I'm going to do the finished puzzle, and then we will get into any closing thoughts we had on The Invisible Man. Uh, so we have got The Mummy. That's, of course, the the recent remake with the Dark Universe. Uh, the Terminator series, Sleeping with the Enemy, Ex Machina, The Silence of the Lambs, Annihilation, Gone Girl, A Quiet Place, Don't Breathe, Black Swan, The Handmaid's Tale, Joker, Hollow Man, Evil Dead 2, and Iron Man 3. It's a good so, list of uh, movies, too. Yeah, it sure is. Uh, a lot of really good stuff. It, there seems to be like a lot of, uh, of high-tech techie stuff in there. Yeah. I think so. But, uh, <laughs> but no, definitely a great <laughs> list of uh, movies. Do you have any, any other thoughts that you wanted to mention about this one? I think this... I, I actually you know, was looking forward to this movie, and I was hoping it would be good, but I think it was actually better than I thought it would be. Uh, mm. Like it, it exceeded my expectations. And uh, I think if we're going to do these classic monster movies in a modern context, I think this is probably as good of an Invisible Man movie as you're going to get without it falling, you know, falling into the same trap of being really hokey or, or feeling very dated or, or things like yeah. that. And, you know, give it a, get, find a social context for it. Underneath all of these characters, there's something very sort of primal about them that I think makes them terrifying and makes that has, has helped them endure and I think, you know, dealing with fighting in an unseen force and, well, what is, how is that relevant today? Having it be sort of a commentary on, you know, dealing with trauma, dealing with abuse and dealing with the aftermath of that, literally fighting mm -hmm. an unseen demon. I thought that was a really smart way to, to bring this, this brand back. And I, you know, I, I as much as I, I, I love this as a self-contained story. I kind of do want to see what what Lee Winnell does with a sequel, or you know, maybe have this same team, not in the, you know, not necessarily the stars, but like have the same cinematographer and and Lee Winnell and Jason Blum have them just kind of continue to tackle the different Universal monsters that way. Yeah, uh, yeah. I I think that's yeah. I think we're we're and I have a kind of a mental running list of really strong horror filmmakers. You know, like the Ari Osters, the Jordan Peels, the Robert Eggers and people like that. And I think I think after this one, I'm officially adding Lee Winnell to that list because this is probably as good as a horror movie as we've seen. Like it's it's up in the conversation with some of the best we've seen in the last few years, I think. Sure. Yeah, I, I, I completely agree. And I, I think it's interesting. He's an interesting filmmaker because he brings in so many uh, so many aspects. Like I said earlier, his action sequences are fantastic yeah, when, he, when he pulls yeah. them out. And, you know, he definitely has a command of horror as well. I mean, he, he's he's a very kind of unpredictable filmmaker when you look at his filmography. I mean, I, I don't like the Insidious movies, but other than that, I really like a lot of what he's done. And um it's he's very interesting. I'm looking forward to what he does, and I do hope that the uh, the takeaway is more so to maybe let him, you know, spearhead another monster or something mm -hmm. like that versus a sequel. But I mean, I guess we'll see what happens, and I I'm looking forward to it, whatever it ends up being. I put it that way. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I think that does it. I think we we covered The Invisible Man here. Uh, do you have another movie you watched recently you'd like to recommend to our listeners? Yeah, so uh, just on a personal note, this uh, Valentine's Day that just passed, 2020, was actually I'd been with my wife for nine years. So nice. I, thank you. Well, like, I mean, we'd been dating for nine years, but together okay. nine years. So, um, so. <laughs> I actually, we actually ended up watching Before Sunset, and that led into, which I, I 
coincidentally, those movies take place every nine years, the, the trilogy. Mm-hmm. So I actually, after that, we, we, we watched the whole trilogy. She had never seen it. So I went back and then finally bit the bullet and got the Criterion Collection before trilogy box set mm-hmm. on Blu-ray. And these movies just, every time, I mean, it's only the second time I've seen them, but they are such... They have such uh, kind of profound commentary on time and relationships, and it's very meditative and romantic, but also, you know, as they go along, like, realistically romantic. Like, in in the third movie, it's not nearly as, you know, as cut and dried as, like, as the young love of the first one. It's much more complex, and, Mm -hmm. you know, that's, I don't know if, I'm assuming you've seen these films at some point. Oh yeah, they're they're fantastic. I've only yeah. seen each one once, but yeah, they're they're really amazing movies. Yeah, so being able to watch them again now, having been in a relationship for just about as long as it, it takes between the first and second movie and the second and third movie, uh, I think it adds a whole new resonance for me. So if people haven't seen those somehow, definitely check those out. And if you have seen them, I would recommend getting the uh, the Blu-ray set. I think it's the only box set you can get with the three of them actually in the same collection. Mm. So I, w- I would definitely uh, keep an eye out for next time Criterion has a flash sale or something and, and pick those up because they're, they're outstanding. Great recommendation right there. Uh, hey, this has been great, Robert. Uh, why don't you tell people where they can find your podcast? Yeah, you can find uh, new episodes of the Crooked Table podcast at crookedtable.com. You can follow the show on Twitter at Crooked Table. Uh, I'm also on you know uh, Instagram and uh, we have a Facebook page and all that stuff. So just crookedtable.com and that'll they have a, we have a, a contact page where you can see all the different places where we have social media presence. Sweet. Well, hey, thank you so much for being here. I'm glad to finally get you on and uh, hope hopefully we could do it again sometime. Absolutely. Anytime, just let me know. Warning, do not listen while hungry. Hi, my name is Stephanie Barajas, host of All Rice, No Beans, a podcast all about restaurants and the people behind some of your favorite spots to eat, where we talk about how they started, all the ups and downs, and my favorite part, the food and drinks. Ooh, and let's not forget about the desserts. So subscribe to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, follow me on all social media because I have the pictures of all the food. And if you want to be on my podcast and you're a restaurant owner or in the business, email me at allricenobeanspodcast at gmail.com. And remember, you were warned. Don't listen while hungry. All right, so I hope you enjoyed that conversation about The Invisible Man. It is, of course, still out in theaters. Just came out this past weekend, and uh, it's it's doing good. I'm, I'm sure, like we talked about in that conversation, we're going to be seeing some kind of follow-up from Lumhouse and Lee Winnell. Hopefully, hopefully they learn the right lessons from this and take it in the right direction. But... You know, we'll see what happens. But anyway, we're going to be here to cover it as we continue piecing it together. Year three kicking off now. If you're enjoying the show, we would love it if you'd rate and review us over on Apple Podcasts and Podchaser. Five stars would be amazing. But we do want to know what you're thinking of the show, how you like the format, how you like the guests, how you like what we do here with the puzzle pieces, and how do you like the new music? How do you like the new artwork? How do you like everything that I'm doing here on the show? I'd really love to hear from you. So rate and review us. You could also just contact me. Get in touch on social media at PiecingPod. Email me directly by DavidRosen at gmail.com. That's my email address. Get in touch. I'd love to hear from you. And if you'd like to be on Piecing It Together, I'd especially love to hear from you. So get in touch, everybody. So uh, I think it is time to leave you guys with a piece of music. 
And I don't think there's any better choice. You know, originally I was going to play a piece of music from this new project I'm about to release, but I, I guess I'll tell you about that next week. Uh, but I actually have a song from one of my albums. The song's called Invisible, and I can't think of a better track to play than Invisible on an episode about the Invisible Man. So let's play Invisible. It's from my last album, A Different Kind of Dream. And there's a music video that I have written for this. I have like a whole script, and I'm hoping to one day make it. Uh, it's going to cost a little bit of money, though, so who knows when that's going to happen. But if I can make it happen one day, if I have a, a few grand in just uh, disposable income that I want to spend for no good reason, maybe I will spend it to produce this video because I think it would be really freaking cool. But... Um, you know, we'll see if that ever happens. But there is new music on the way. Uh, that's a little bit of a tease. You can go 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 search for music by David Rosen on Facebook and get a little inside scoop as to what that's all about because there is new music coming your way soon and I'll have a lot of tracks to filter into these ending segments of the show in the coming months from that new album. But uh, for now, let's go to the last album. Again, it's called A Different Kind of Dream. It's available anywhere music is available and the song is invisible.
and All Points West. 